You can only do something in an automated way. Machines are only good at doing things if there's data to work with that's reliable and, and allows for repeatable processes, right? In the context of people data, you are frequently trying to key off of things like job titles or organizational level, or even just the department they're in, maybe a specific location. Um, and if those things aren't well controlled, well defined, codified, there is no opportunity to do anything in an automated fashion to make sure yep. those people are getting the learning and development that you want them to. Welcome to Making Better, a podcast from Better Everyday Studios devoted to helping small learning teams have a big impact. Today, we are talking to Zach Ledford, owner of Elgin LLC, a veteran-owned small business that focuses on creating data integration solutions that bolster productivity, reduce cost, and decrease risk. Incorrect people data is one of the biggest challenges I have faced when implementing learning strategies, so I wanted to have him on to discuss. Let's dive in. Okay, Zach, welcome to Making Better. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Awesome. I'm, I'm doing great. I'm really glad that to get to have you again because we had a technical problem with the first time we tried to uh, have this. So uh, as is standard practice in podcasting, we will assume that that was the best podcast that was ever recorded <laughs> and no one will ever get to hear it. Um, but thank you so much for doing it again. Um, we, we have a long history together, but for the listeners, uh, I'd love for you to give kind of a one to two minute intro of, of yourself. Sure. So I'm Zach Ledford. I'm one of three co-founders of an HR technology consulting company called Elgin LLC. Uh, so we're active with a laser focus in the people data sort of HR vertical, um, specifically doing integrations, system to system, system to database, data warehousing, uh, modeling, statistical analysis, and strategic management as it relates to people data and people initiatives uh, for companies of all shapes and sizes. Um, prior to getting started on this front, uh, which we started up, I think, about three and a half years ago at this point, um, I was the manager of HR data and automation at Elon Musk's SpaceX, which is where you and I kind of met and yep, yep. <laughs> started our, our professional relationship many years ago now, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, beyond that, you know, I'm a army veteran, um, was active duty for four years, did a deployment to Afghanistan. I got an MBA, a PMP from the project management Institute. Um, and, uh, I'm married to a PhD in English and we live with our, our one-year-old in Columbus, Ohio. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I think, um, I've always loved staying in touch with you because you are one of truly the few people I've ever talked to who I feel like understands the pain of people data. And when I say people data and the challenges that it faces, you're just like, yep, yep, I get it. Um, and even within HR, I feel like a lot of people don't realize why they're struggling with it and or why they're struggling and the source is often people data. Um, so for those who maybe don't know what we mean when we say people data, um, could you define that term a little bit more for us? Yeah. I will, I will do my best and give you my working definition. <laughs> excellent. Because excellent. it is an interesting question, right? Like um, there's an argument to be made that, that all business data inherently, because it relates back to people, is sort of sure. tacitly or second order effect people data, right? When we think about it from our perspective, our model is we, we think about this sort of core component of a person profile, a people profile as a start, as a starting point, right? So... That's broken out into three different questions. You know, one, your people data should be able to answer, you know, who are these people? So think like basic demographic information, you know, the pedigree, 
you know, their names, contact information, date of birth, like that kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Then you've got the second question, which is what do these people cost to maintain? Really important for organizations of all stripes, right? So this is things like your compensation information, are the hourly versus salary, what do the wages look like, the benefits, total rewards, like that that kind of thing. And then the last part of this like core people trifecta is to answer the question, what do these people do? So we're thinking about things like job title, organizational structure, you know, who's their manager, or if they're managing people, who are those people and what does that look like? Um, and so you got to be able to answer those three questions at a minimum. And that's kind of the central people data element. And then you can start to layer on more interesting questions or what I consider more interesting, like how do these people do what they do? Are they any good at what they do? Are they at risk of leaving? Do we care if they leave? Uh, what value are they bringing? Do we have a sense of what their ROI is? And can we get to something even you know, more specific, like their monetized ROI. Um, and so suddenly you've got this core people data element that we talked about that expands out, blows yeah. up really, really big, but, op op you know, has a, has a huge area of opportunity in terms of, of the value that you might get from really mastering it. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But with that, with that opportunity and value proposition comes some um, implicit complexity in terms of how you get there and how do you, how do you wrangle it and how do you do it? Right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, so there's at least four buckets there that, you know, your three core buckets, and then you could probably give a loose definition of just like operational people data, you know, like all that stuff of how yeah. they, how they do their job or, or, or are they doing it well? Like all, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, yeah, you, you take any one of those things. Like I was, I was amazed. I remember one time uh, looking at workday and thinking about just one data point of that bucket of what do they do you know so job title and you think like what does somebody do oh it's their job title well if you look in the hris very often there's like a job title a position a work code a, you know there might be half a dozen different pieces points of data that say just like what this person's job is um, and then you think about all the ways that you could combine all of that stuff and the complexity just starts to get pretty overwhelming pretty fast. Yeah, no doubt. And that's, that's things, you know, indexed on, you know, title and you start layering in things like level or yeah. band yeah. or, uh, if you're, if you're really sort of moving along the spectrum skills or professional yeah. abilities and previous experiences, like it can get like, yeah, very complex, very quickly. Yeah. So. I want to ask you about some of the questions, some of the problems that you've seen companies face, but I want to start to frame this in the learning perspective, since we have a learning audience. I mean, this is, this is a very timely discussion because I was literally dealing with this yesterday. I was working with a client where my purview was really, I wouldn't even call it a learning needs analysis. It was just kind of like a like a certification needs analysis. I was talking with all the different leaders in the business. This is a small business, you know, 300 ish employees. Um, and looking at talking to all the work areas, just saying, okay, like what are the key things that each person does or that each, that, that you do on your team? And we had several meetings set up and with, with all the leaders and you couldn't get, you can't get 10 leaders in a room without, starting a discussion of, well, what does my work area 
purview. Like I'm kind of in charge of this team and kind of in charge of this team. And like, I know you say this is my title, but it's really also this too. And I kind of have these people reporting to me and, you know, I'm just there as the outsider meant to have a discussion with them of like, okay, like what is, what's the thing your team does? What, what, what are all the things they do? And they couldn't agree on what their team was, let alone what they did, like who was on their team versus what their team did. Like they didn't necessarily know that. And so immediately you just run into the wall of like, well, I don't know where we can go if you don't clearly know, you know, who, what your department is or what your, who the members of your team are. Um, so that's where I've faced this is just this real, like, there's almost nowhere to start the learning strategy discussion if we don't have some of this ba basic people data in place, let alone implement it, like try to assign out courses in any kind of automated fashion. So that's how I've seen it on, on the learning side. How, what, what are some examples of challenges that you've seen that people data have, that, that people have with this? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the, the sort of framework that you're presenting here, I mean, it's, it's actually not super uncommon. Um, you know, I think it, it stems from one or two sort of common things we see as like a pain point or an obstacle. First is not necessarily having like a a real centralized and deliberate strategy about what your people data looks like. Yeah. Organizational planning, organizational metadata and, and like sort of people structure is a big component of that. Yeah. It's it's a foundational thing I think that like frequently happens semi-organically just as the business starts to grow and things yeah. start to happen you know you're just like ah where do i slot it it goes it goes over here yeah. right because that's yeah. where someone notionally has capacity to manage it yeah um or or it's a byproduct of finance making a decision and saying from a costing perspective this is what makes sense to me and they do it in, they do it in a semi-vacuum yeah, yeah i see that a lot it's it's actually really surprising to me how often the hr HRIS structure is driven by finance. It's it's yep. a very common thing. Yep. And it's it's not necessarily super clean and it's frequently not clean at all, right? Yeah. Because your cost centers and costing allocations, your approval workflows for that section of the business may be very different from the functional component that actually says this person reports into this management chain, right? Yes. Um and the, the bigger the separation between those two things are, those two worlds, the harder and harder it is to get them to reconcile. And it causes all kinds of problems. Um, yeah. 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 Could you, do you have any examples of like the, and obviously not specifics, but like when you say it causes all kinds of problems. Um, sure. So, um, so one that comes up with virtually every client that we've had <laughs> is around um quarterly and annual forecasting activities so okay. think headcount think spending um just overall operational expense planning and uh succession planning those are all kind of tied into this like this animal of of yep. labor forecasting and headcount control even something as fundamental as getting alignment on what headcount means can be vastly different because of the different frameworks that are in place between sort of the finance and cost center centric hmm. approach versus the hr approach so for instance, from an HR perspective, you probably don't really care about this idea of like fractional heads. Headcount yeah. is how many people do you have in the organization that are doing things, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? It's pretty, pretty straightforward. Mm -hmm. 
from a finance perspective, you may want to make a delineation between, well, how many of those are W-2 versus contracted out with 1099 versus contracted out on like a fixed firm contract with a third party house versus something that's wholesale offloaded to somebody else yeah. versus a services contract where someone has access, but isn't necessarily being actively managed, right? And then layer in a third that we actually haven't talked about, and that's the IT function. Yeah. Because the access part as we're talking about it kind of yep. jogged my memory. Now you've also got the access control layer, both in terms of physical security and to your network or to yep. your, you know, your various systems. Um, so if you can't even get baseline definition of like something as simple as what does headcount mean? How in the world are you supposed to actually put together a program holistically to manage it? Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and just to really quickly for, again, for kind of the learning audience to put a pin in like why, why this matters, you know, cause it can be like, Hey, I'm the, I'm the learning person. I'm just over here. Um, we're kind of getting in the weeds here. I think not having a good understanding of whether it's like who reports to who or what departments exist makes it next to impossible to implement a big learning strategy, a, a automated in any way or scalable learning strategy. This is not a problem that we can solve by ourselves, right? Like we have to engage other elements of the business that have very entrenched interests in this. And I think understanding some of the reasons why, like you were just talking about, HR has a certain problem to solve, finance has a problem to solve, IT has a problem to solve. Understanding where those people are coming from is going to be really helpful to you as a learning person going out and talking to other parts of the business and saying like, Hey, we need to fix this. Because I know when I, when I first started in this, uh, you know, kind of when we first got to know each other, none of it just, it just didn't make any sense to me. It looked like everything was complete nonsense. Like nobody <laughs> made, nothing made any sense. Why would anyone ever choose to set up and organize data in this way? But it's only by understanding the problems that these other people are trying to solve that you're kind of like, oh, I get it. And then you can kind of go to them with a little bit more empathy, a little bit more understanding. And that's the basis of having a true discussion where you can get your problem solved by um, helping them understand what you're trying to do and maybe kind of find a more holistic solution. So just for the listeners, don't, you know, I know we're kind of getting the weeds on this, but I think this is really, really essential if you ever want to be able to solve this problem is understanding what it means to other people. Um, yeah. I totally, totally agree with that. I mean, the empathy part is huge. Um, and you know, speak directly to, to maybe in slightly more detail on one of the things you, you, you highlighted this idea of, you know, programmatically in an automated way, assigning training to individuals, right? You could only do something in an automated way. Machines are only good at doing things if there's data to work with that's reliable and, and allows for repeatable processes, right? In the context of people data, you are frequently trying to key off of things like job titles or organizational level, or even just the department they're in, maybe a specific location. Um, and if those things aren't well controlled, well defined, codified, there is no opportunity to do anything in an automated fashion to make sure yeah. those people are getting the learning and development that you want them to. Yeah. Um, it is it inherently becomes a manual activity. Yeah, exactly. Because the the probably the two most common things that I would run into would be something like, give this course to all the engineers, you know, or, like, <laughs> or pick whatever right. whatever job title. And it's like, well, you know, do you mean like like software engineers or hardware engineers or or you know they they don't really have a clear knowledge of what they mean or or what what titles are in the system. And then the other place I get this is you know assign it to this whole department. 
when that department doesn't even exist, really what they mean is assign <laughs> it to everybody who reports to this person. Right. Um, but you, you don't want to ever assign training based on a person because then if that person moves, it like messes everything up, you know? Um, so those are kind of the, yeah, it's, you know, for us in the learning space, it becomes really challenging. Um, so when you, you know, you mentioned all these problems, when, when you start working with a company, what are some of the, you know, first things that you do to try to get past this problem or solve some of these data problems? Yeah. The first piece is to, is to have the various conversations with the different, the different players who might have different frameworks they're working with and meet with them individually first to understand like what they're doing and why. I mean, again, that that empathy point is, is extremely important, right? It's a matter of understanding their motivation and yep. intent because there, there always is one. Like, you know, we'll go in with a, with the the uh, the baseline premise that there's no malintent. There's not yep. someone actively yep. trying yep. to subvert the, yeah. the business. Yeah. We're all trying to do the right thing. Yes, it's <laughs> yeah, always a good just, place to start. <laughs> right. And so you go in with that, that frame of mind, I think it's helpful. Um, yep. But once you start to kind of see those things, there's there's generally going to be like significant overlap, right? It's the it's the the 10, 20% of things that don't perfectly align that cause the problems, right? Yeah. So that's where the, the proverbial squeaky wheel is sort of starting from. And so that's the that's the that's the point of intervention to kind of start to figure out like what can we do maybe to make that a little bit less problematic, a little less noisy. Do you, do you find that there's some like easy, you know, kind of on that idea of like, there's quite a bit of overlap, but then there's these outliers. I find that like in a lot of instances, those outliers, you know, they take up all the time and you wind up trying to solve those. Are, are there often like early wins that you can get to really move the ball forward just because like these things basically are the same thing. You're just calling them different things, but we can kind of combine them with relatively little, little little work and and then worry about the detail the, the other 20 percent later on yeah sometimes that sometimes that happens pretty readily right like yeah. you'll see a difference between even just terminology you know finance is calling something a cost center or as an as this notional idea of a cost center hierarchy and there just hasn't been someone to bridge the gap to say that in the hr speak that actually means a supervisory organizational structure mixed in with a department mixed in with like a group or a division yeah right and so it's as simple as really like as as crazy as it sounds, just putting together even an Excel spreadsheet that says, here's what HR calls it, here's what finance it. calls it. I've done and it. <laughs> here's where there's a mismatch. And so can we can we break a prob break apart those problem children and sort of figure out what to do from there, right? But like yeah. nine times out of ten, you guys are saying the same thing, just with like different words. Yeah. Kind of on that, when you talk about, you know, meeting with all the players, is, is there what are the common players in this discussion? And is there a common like head of it all, like, like who, like a decision maker. Oof, man. Um, so the common list of players is an easier one to answer. So we'll yeah. start with that. Right. Okay. So you'll have your, whoever your head of HR, whoever your, whoever your head of HR IS might be your information systems person. Right. In theory, they're getting marching orders from the CHRO or the chief people officer or whatever else. And so they should be the representative Mm -hmm. that person's probably a little bit higher level than what you need for this specific conversation. Mm. But if it's, a, if it's a smaller or mid cap business, maybe not, it might be the same person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, this should be someone who understands the theory behind the HR core systems and what they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, it's really important too to include not just core HR, but talent acquisition and recruiting mm. in this part as well. 
because if you think about end to end, how you get people into the business, how you're posting externally and that, that sort of bridge, um, that's a really big component that frequently kind of gets like lost in the mix. Yep. Um, and those frontline people, they know a lot, they know a lot. And they're also your bridge to the individual business leaders because the hiring managers have to be, have to be present, right? Yep. You, yep. you need them as part of this conversation. Okay. Um, the others would be members of uh, the finance team. Typically, there might be someone from payroll, right? That might want to have some play here. There's a lot of decisions that are made in terms of how to organize data um, from an organizational perspective because of like local uh, labor laws or tax laws. Mm -hmm. As crazy as that sounds, like it's coming oh, yeah. out of like a legislative need. Yep. So understanding that if and when it pops up is helpful. Yep. Um, and then anybody who's doing the forecasting components that rolls up into the CFO mm -hmm. as it relates to workforce management and workforce planning, you want that person or those people in the room too, for yep. sure. Because if yep. you don't have them on board, that means you don't have the CFO on board. I don't care what you're doing, how persuasive the other executives are that you have in your corner. It's not going to work. Yeah, <laughs> yep. that makes sense. CFO has to be down. And then yep. the, the learning, the learning function for sure, mm -hmm. because that's the mm -hmm. other part of it, right? Mm hmm you think about the major consumers of this data um, and someone who's also entrenched in with the different business leaders, it's learning and organizational development that yeah. should be plugged in with that. There's yeah. there someone who can help bridge some of the operational needs um, and requirements and strategy with what's, with what's actually available from the people data side. Yeah. So kind of, you know, to put, you know, big picture terms on it, it's probably, you know, so we got learning, you got HR, you got, couple different modes of finance. So you got like compensation and then core finance, IT yep. and yep. recruiting are probably yep. some of the, some of the major players. I do want to highlight one thing that you mentioned that I think is really critical with this because this kind of stuff is so in the weeds and sounds so, uh, I don't even know what it just, it sounds minimal or it just sounds like, why are you talking about this? There likely is a big separation between, at least in my experience, the people who can have your initial conversation of like, talk about like, what are the terms? How do I define them? How do I use them? And the people who can make a decision about making a change. And so, you know, like when we talk about finance and you're talking about having those meetings to get set up, it's not about, Hey, let me go talk to the CFO about this. Cause they're probably not going to take a meeting. They're not going to care even in a relatively small company, you know, they, they might not, it's just feels below their radar you're gonna need to talk to the people who are dealing with this data day to day to get that understanding, get them on your side, build their case. And so then, you know, you're having like the ground level person in finance kind of requesting the meeting with the CFO of, hey, we wanna talk, you know, we wanna talk about this change. Um, that's that's something that took me a while to understand is that that separation between who can talk about it at like a tactical level and then who can make the decision for the strategic change. So. No, I think it's a really important point, right? Like you, you are probably not going to be going, you know, talk to the board of directors or the, the entire C-suite and, you know, present your case with this like very in the weeds component yes. and then be like, and now give me a decision because I'm here and I'm ready for one. Right. Um, it's not going to happen. Yeah. I've never, I've, and in over 10 years, I've never seen that happen. <laughs> um, but building sets of advocates that understand and have had the lived experience of the pain that comes from not solving this problem, the ones who really get it. And if you sat them down for a cup of coffee and you're like, 
tell me three things that you hate about what you have to do. And they tell you two of them and two out of those three are related to, to issues that we're talking about now. Yeah. They're going to get it and they've already got trust with the different verticals they're in. If you get, you get them to become your advocate, which is easier because they understand what you're trying to do and how it will help them. Yeah. They'll sell it for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, that's huge because every, the pain that we feel in learning, like everybody has their own kind of that pain, you know, whether it's recruiting and how they have to like manually enter data because there's not a clean integration between the, um, the ATS and the HR system or finance that's got to like re, you know, run, rerun a bunch of charts because they can't automatically <laughs> pull it out of their finance system because the data is not correct. Everybody's got their own set of this. Um, in those discussions though, so like when you're trying to build that case, what are some, you know, so getting back to kind of the core of what you do, you know, you go into companies, you help them, you know, re-engineer the backend to have, to help these integrations. What's this seems in the weeds, but it has huge payoffs, not just for the frontline people, but for the business as a whole, what are, what are the kinds of things that you've seen as the payoffs of doing this better? Um, as that, you know, the people listening can kind of use as, uh, you know, firepower to like, go push these conversations, get people to, to talk to them about it. So like, what are some examples of, of how this can improve a business when we do it better? Yeah, for sure. So there's only three things that decision makers in business care about. That's time, money, and risk, right? Yeah. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> and those things are frequently very intertwined and very, you know, very intermingled. But if you can, if you can put a narrative together that speaks to one or all of those things, it's going to resonate. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and this is a narrative that readily, that readily hits on all three. Right. So from a, from a time perspective, manual intervention, repeat work, that's an easy one for people to understand. Right. And it's easy to put something that seems esoteric and put a number on it. So we do this kind of thing all the time. We'll say, what does your overall recruiting activity look like? You know, you mm. mentioned that maybe there's no integration between the ATS and the HR system, right? What does your manual activity look like per, per position that's being posted inside of the ATS? What is your, what does your overall time look like when you hire somebody to actually extend the offer, go through the whole process and get everything documented? What does it look like? And do you have to repeat work to move that person from a candidate status in the ATS to becoming like an onboarded employee in the HR system? Yeah. We've literally sat there with like a stopwatch and done this nice. to see, like collect data on it. And then we'll say, yeah. okay, maybe it's a uh, five minutes here, 10 minutes here. It adds up to, you know, an hour or two per requisition or per activity times a throughput of a thousand. There's 2000 hours. We'll dollar cost average out what the, what the average total rewards are for the employees you're doing that function there's your monetized costing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we've got time, which, which carries opportunity cost that we've, we've accounted for convert that to number of working days or weeks. It's opportunity cost, actual, actual monetized cost of that activity. So there's a direct loss as well. And then there's the risk component where you start might, you know, you might start looking at things um, from a reporting perspective that matter a lot. If you're somebody who's active in the space that requires like the OFCCP or EEO compliance components, if you can't readily report on some of those things, it could kill your business because you won't be yeah. able to continue to support government contracts. Yeah. Um, if you're active at all in a space that has SOX regulations on it, you better be able to meet all of the regulatory needs. Same thing yeah. for GDPR, CalWARN, the regular WARN. Like these are all all things that that from a risk perspective are very, very important because they can they're an existential threat to your business. 
Yeah, I mean, I know I saw this a lot uh, as COVID kicked off and people, employees just started moving everywhere. And if you don't have a clean system to get that data updated, then, you know, it's one thing if somebody's living in a different state and so maybe they don't get the correct sexual harassment training or whatever. It's like, okay, like it's not the worst thing in the world, but like somebody moves out of the country and you don't account for that. And there's like <laughs> a thousand and one tax implications. Yeah. God knows what else. Um, these can have huge risks if they're not, if they're not managed appropriately. Definitely. I mean, and it, it comes down to access control and things on the IT mm -hmm. side of the house as well, right? Like yeah. you don't, I, I've seen it where you have people that are just lingering in systems forever, five years after they've been terminated and they still technically have a backdoor entrance into a key system. It's, yeah. it's mind boggling, but it happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, hopefully, yeah, I think that, that, that covers, I think most of what I, I was thinking I wanted to cover today. What about you? Any, any other things when you think about people that are talking to a learning audience, anything else that you wanted to cover? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it, it is, um, it's important to be creative and always have this mind towards pushing towards the automated solutions where you can. So it frees up your time to focus on those things that machines are not good at doing. And there are many things that they're not good at doing. <laughs> Despite what we might hear with ChatGPT, <laughs> there are still many, many things that computers are not good at yet. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I would prop up to the, to the audience, you know, we, we've kind of touched on it a few times, but like what are different things that you can key off to kind of help assign training out or monitor it? You know, um, titles, skills, previous experiences, levels. I've done stuff off of pay band. I've introduced new, don't be, don't be afraid of introducing new data to the data mm -hmm, model too. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the engineering function. I've done this in probably 15 organizations now where we've made a, a delineation between engineering versus non-engineering and it's a binary flag and we use it because it's impossible to account for all the variations of job titles, yeah. right? Yeah. Do you include solutions yes. architects or not? Are the engineers yes. or not? Right? Like yeah. put a codified workflow into place to help introduce that data if possible. And don't, don't be afraid to go advocate for that. Cause a lot of times people say, never thought about that. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Right. And it's, and it's easy. Um, and then the other thing would be, you know, along the lines of the organizational component, thinking about, I want everyone who reports to this person. Um, you could also think about positions and people and the interplay there. So maybe mm -hmm. you're allocating training based on position and positional structure, position management is a component of the business and assigning training based on that as opposed to the individuals in the position. Um, so we've done mm. this before too. Okay. So there's ways to get creative with it so that you've got something that's not super brittle, but is still doing what you want it to do. I've, I've seen that before. Cause I, and if I get what you're saying, it's like, I've seen this in like the workday point of view where workday has the concept of a position that is separate and apart from the person in that position. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There's the yeah. organization with organizational slots, and yeah. then you put people in and out of the slots, but yeah. the slots themselves remain until there's a yeah. strategic decision to deprecate or move them. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much because I really think if if you start to think about a lot of the challenges that you have implementing a learning strategy and an, an effective learning strategy, it's really making a difference in the business. This is really one of the places where you start to run into challenges. You just don't know who's in the business, where they are, and what they do. 
right? And you don't know that because there's not a good data structure in place. And so starting these, com you know, don't feel like you're, you're just stuck and can't do anything. Um, but also just don't go to the C-suite and say, we need to change, you know, there's other people in the business that are feeling the same pain for different reasons. And it's about getting those people together, understanding their pains, trying to come up with solutions to it, and then presenting that up above. Um, I think that's that's the only way to move forward. So uh, thank you so much, Zach, for being on today. Um, I can I can always talk about this forever. Um, so thanks a lot for, for being on. I appreciate it. Happy to be here. Yeah. Thanks.